0: It's the Criterion, it's the Criterion, 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 criterion. in, 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 project. Hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Criterion project, the show where we talk about movies either in the Criterion channel the Criterion Collection, or both. Today we're talking about the movie Shaolin Soccer from 2001, the Kung Fu Sports Comedy. And as always, I'm here with, uh, I'm Conrado Falco first of all, and I'm here with the great Rachel Wagner. Rachel, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing pretty well. I've been watching a lot of soccer because the World Cup is on. So that's kind of what inspired me to to pick this movie, obviously. Um, this We're recording this episode before the final is played, but it will come out after. So people listening will know whether Argentina or France is the world champion when you're listening to this. Um, and that should be a very exciting game of football for anyone who is interested in that or anyone who has never seen soccer. I think that these are definitely the two best teams. So it makes sense that they're fighting each other in the finals. So yeah, I will be watching for sure. Um, And I'm excited about it. How about you? How's Christmas going? Uh,
1: (laughs) I'm I'm still here. I'm still recording. I made it through. I've watched over a hundred Christmas movies uh, and uh, reviewed them with my friends. So uh, yeah. uh, I. I'm still somehow festive after all, uh, uh, after all, after 110 uh, Christmas movies, so.
0: (laughs) That's great. Um, So other than Christmas movies, or maybe a Christmas movie that you would like to talk about, (laughs) what you've been watching, as we usually do?
1: Yes. So I also had to watch the Oscar screeners uh, to get ready to vote for Utah Film Critics Association Awards and for uh, other, other awards that I'm a part of. So that's been crazy, too, uh, trying to get these uh, movies watched. And uh, a couple that I I thought might be fun to talk about, I think one that I could see on Criterion one of these days is a little movie called After Sun, I think you really like this one. Uh, It's uh, a really simple little movie about a father and a daughter who are at this resort trying to get to know each other, get to spend time with each other. It Mm. doesn't have a ton of plot. Uh, It's just them in their experiences. And it was very sweet and very well done.
0: Yeah. I've heard a lot about that movie. Everything great, mostly, but for some reason... I don't know why I have this resistance to watching it. I don't know. Maybe it's it's just one of those things that every now and then there'll be a movie that everybody says, it's great. And you just kind of say, I don't know. I don't know if that happens to you, but sometimes it happens mm-hmm. to me. Everybody talks about this movie and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'll get to it eventually. You know. <laughs> you <laughs> like, have to look down that
1: contrarian be? in you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, Happens every now and then. I feel like every year there's a movie around this time that I feel that way about. Um, and this I can year understand it's just... that
1: something gets hyped so much. I mean, it's not really a movie that. I mean, it's just such a sweet, small, little movie. It, it doesn't seem like the kind of movie that should get like super hyped. But uh, mm-hmm. but it, and I I do prefer movies that have like a little bit more plot for it to be you know, maybe in my favorites of the year. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless i i i think it's worthy of recommending for sure um uh, okay. and i have to recommend the new avatar movie i ah. i thought talking about going from two extremes but mm-hmm. i really liked it i thought it was a a touching story not just the beautiful visuals which we know we're going to get but uh, i like liked following this family and uh they're Experiences. It's actually like an immigrant story. It's a refugee story, and hmm. uh, I thought it was a lot better than the first one, which was more of a romance. Uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, I I really I was awestruck by it. It really <laughs> so, worked for me.
0: That's a movie. Yeah. The complete opposite from me regarding Avatar and Aftersun. I cannot wait to watch it this weekend. I'm going to go to the big IMAX and finally see Avatar 2, The Way of Water, which I've been looking forward to a lot. Um, I... Right, I enjoyed the Avatar when it came out, the first one. Um... But um, but I didn't, you know, it, it it didn't blow me away. But I watched it again when it was re-released earlier this year. And seeing it again in the big screen really was great. It was an incredible experience. It really yeah. highlighted to me how great the movie was. And also how it stands out in the years since as, as still being like the one of the best blockbusters and how so many others pale in comparison when, when you watch it. So I'm really excited to see what James Cameron... Is doing with when he has even more freedom and even more budget and even more crazy advanced effects. So, I'm really looking forward to that for sure. Um, yeah, I
1: mean the visuals are just. I mean, I'm a big you know ocean person, a big water person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so particularly for this one, all the 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 water. Oh my gosh, it was
0: unbelievable. <laughs> <That's> yeah, <great. laughs> um, I, it
1: seems to be pretty divisive amongst my. Film Twitter friends. uh, oh, really? Uh, if, if whether they bonded with the script or not. I have some that did, oh. others that didn't. Uh, and uh, it, I mean, it is too long. And that's, you know, James Cameron for you. Uh, it's not like it's perfect, but mm. I, I, it was a lot better than I, I thought it was going to be.
0: Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess, yes, yeah, since, since the first one, there's always been the talk about the screenplay being very, you know, predictable or working with a lot of Mm -hmm. archetypes or stereotypes or, you know, they're not being particularly original, but watching the movie again, it just worked so well, the original. So I'm, I really, it doesn't bother me at all that he's working with, with predictable stuff as long as he's doing it so well. Yeah.
1: I'd be really, I'll be definitely curious what you think. Uh,
0: I'd be very, very curious. I'll make sure to share when, well, it's (laughs) going to be a while until we record an episode after I've seen it, but you know, uh, we'll talk about it sometime. Um, as far as what I've been watching, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. The first one is that I've been... There's a um, Screwball Classics collection on, on Criterion Channel right now. And um, so I've been trying to dig myself into those when I've not been watching soccer, which has been most of the time. But um, I did catch a couple of those. And I particularly, I rewatched one movie that we've covered before, which is It Happened One Night which, um, you know, the Frank Capra movie with Clark Gable, Claudette Coubert, which we did an episode on, which is a great movie. I loved it even more this time around. And also because I, um, I'm reading a book called Pursuit of Happiness, the Hollywood comedy of remarriage, which is a movie, a book, sorry, by Stanley Cavill, who is a writer and philosopher, I think. And, you know, it's a book all about screwball comedies. And the chapter about It Happened One Night was really, really great. It made me appreciate mm-hmm. the movie even more, which I already loved more watching it the second time. And I wanted to share a quote from it just because I thought it was so great and it encapsulated so much of what is so great about the movie. So if you allow me, Rachel, I will tell you yeah. a little bit about what Stanley Cavill has to say about It Happened One Night. So he's talking about the Walls of Jericho scene, of course, one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. And he says, The woman has joined the Israelites. The man finishes changing into his pajamas and gets into his bed. The woman asks him to turn off the light, after which she begins hesitantly to undress. In one camera setup, we watch the blanket screen with the man as it is rippled and intermittently dented by the soft movements of what we imagine as the woman changing into pajamas in cramped quarters. The thing that was to make everything all right by veiling something from sight turns out to inspire as significant an erotic reaction as the unveiled event would have done. I cannot doubt that the most celebrated Hollywood film of 1934 knows that it is, among other things, parodying the most notorious event of the Hollywood film's political environment of 1934, the acceptance of the Motion Picture Production Code, the film industry's effort, it said, to avoid internal censorship. The question posed by the parody may be formulated this way. If the film screen works like a kind of censoring, elaborating the effect of what it covers, how will you censor that? Which I think is a great way of capturing how those movies of that period worked around the code to become such, you know, exciting, sexy movies, despite of the limitations, which is what makes me love them and what makes all the movies in that collection, I'm sure, even the ones that I haven't seen yet, I'm sure, uh, great and very, very watchable. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's what you don't see that can be, that can make a scene sexy or exciting or funny, uh, mm-hmm. more, almost more than when it's like outright, like kind of vulgarly seen, you know, in mm-hmm. a comedy or, or those kind of things. And so in some ways, I think their create the creativity that they had to, to, to
0: go to, to make things work actually benefited the films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that you were speaking a sort of code, or you know, the symbolism, the, mm-hmm. the thing that you weren't saying what we were supposed to say, made you as the audience member be like, "Oh, I know what you're saying." You know, now we are together, the movie and I. We are on the same page. You know, we know what is being done without having to say it explicitly. It's very exciting and it's very fun, I think, at least for me, uh, when watching those movies. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I, I think so. Something like. This is a little bit later, but something like Breakfast at Tiffany's. So Mm -hmm. much of uh, of her character, as far as being a call girl and things like that, like it all has to be sort of implied. You can't Mm -hmm. like come outright and say that, which I think makes the movie makes her character more interesting, makes the movie more interesting,
0: uh, and uh, and yeah. So there's something to be said for it. Yeah, definitely. Now, the other movie that I wanted to highlight is part of the same collection as our main topic this week, Shaolin Soccer. It's um, There is a collection called, I think it's called The Beautiful Game, and it is about um, movies about soccer, basically. Um, mostly international movies, um, because, you know, America is not that interested in soccer. Uh, but, um, you know, one of them, which I was thinking of picking... It was between this movie and Shirley and Soccer for this episode. Um, it's a movie called Offside from the year 2006, uh, directed by Yafar Panahi, a Iranian filmmaker. And it's a very, very beautiful and and honestly brave movie. Um, it takes place during the 2006 World Cup qualification, so around 2005. And it follows a group of girls who want to go see the match at the stadium. But of course, in Iran, it is not allowed for women to go to the stadium with the men. So the girls have to dress up as men and pretend to be boys and try to sneak into the stadium past the guards. And it is a whole movie about... It's a very... You know, that's the whole plot. It's just like following throughout the few hours that the match takes place, this group of girls who aren't necessarily friends or don't know each other that well. They're just a group of girls who love soccer and want to go in and they're having this experience together of trying to sneak in and and it's very, you know, it's hard. But it highlights not only, you know, right now there's a lot of protests going on in Iran. The situation's pretty bad. A lot of, I mean, it was basically sparked by women trying to fight for their rights, you know. Um, and this movie really highlights that sort of... Um, that plight in a way that is not, you know, super dour and super violent, even though it recognizes how hard it is and how unjust that can be. But it also shows how complicated that is. I mean, these girls are being, in a way, oppressed and and prevented from seeing a, a match that is their country's, they want to support their country at the World Cup. You know, it's like this interesting thing of like their relationship to their country and their people. They love it and they want to see them play and they want to see them win, but also there's the same system that is keeping them from engaging in that, which I find very interesting and very complicated in a very exciting way.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up this uh, this movie uh, because uh, it's directed by the father of uh, the one of my favorites of this year, mm-hmm. Hit the Road, Right uh, and uh, and so uh, that makes me just curious because I I haven't seen it um, and I yeah. uh, I I just loved hit the road so much uh, and uh, yeah. and so anyway that's kind of fun uh, pa- Pana Panahi is the is the son yeah is the son
0: yeah Jafar Panahi is his dad he's a very famous you know Iranian filmmaker who ran into a lot of trouble with the Iranian government. This movie, Offsite, is the last movie he made before he was uh, banned from making movies and had to make start making movies in secret, which he did has been doing for a long... Well, in secret, in quotation marks, right? They yeah. can't know while he's making them, but then they play at this famous film festivals all around the world because he sneaks them through somehow. But but actually, since the protesting has been going on, I think it's it's hard to know exactly what's going on, but I think he has been maybe arrested again and he's been again under, you know, in trouble with the authorities for, for being, uh, you know, for being, for critiquing the the regime.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at his Wikipedia and, uh, it says that he was imprisoned, I guess it's it's a
0: certain point. I think so. I I think maybe at multiple points, um, he might've been in, in prison. So yeah, it's a very, um, it's a tough situation, but it's a great movie and, and every movie of his that I've seen, which is a handful has been great. So I definitely recommend to anyone who, who thinks this sounds interesting at all to check it out on Criterion channel while it's there. Cool. That's very good. Very good. All right. So <laughs> that leads us into something a little bit different. Uh, the movie Shaolin Soccer from 2001, directed by the great Hong Kong comedian, Stephen Chow who you know you might know better from movies like kung fu hustle and the mermaid both of which were done after this movie um this one is a sports comedy action movie in which this you know it's a a team up between this kind of like disgraced football player who kind of like was wronged by, by his evil teammate and, you know, his leg was broken, he threw a match and now he's come down, you know, disrepute after being a soccer star and is now trying to coach his own team in order to to get his um, glory back, I guess. And he teams up with a young martial arts uh, master. Well, it's more of a student than a master, but it's like a martial artist played by Stephen Chow who has an incredibly strong leg who makes him kick the ball really hard. And so he he teams up with this guy and they find his other art, martial artist friends to form a soccer team and defeat the evil guys. I guess that's basically it, right, Rachel, in terms of plot? Yeah.
1: And there's this uh, woman that, uh, this baker,
0: oh yeah. who becomes involved as well and who has really bad acne. Right. There's that he kind of... There's like a somewhat of a romantic subplot between the Stephen Chow character, Sing, and then this um, woman named Mew, played by Xiao Wei, who makes uh, sweet buns uh, Mm -hmm. on the street. And she also has like a kung fu talent. That's why he notices her the first time, right? With her hands more so than with her legs as she makes the buns. Mm -hmm. Um, The the biggest um, attraction of the movie, as is the case for most of the Stephen Chow movies of this period is its use of pretty outrageous visual effects and stunts, right? And um, the way that, you know, these are Kung Fu Shaolin masters playing soccer. They're not playing soccer like your average person. They're like running around, they are like jumping through the air, kicking the ball, like turn bursting the ball on fire with how hard their kicks are. Mm-hmm. And basically like a mix of like uh soccer kung fu and almost like a dragon ball z kind of like you know strength and power um, stuff
1: yeah it almost feels like the what's it the wux wuxian
0: wuxia yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah kind of flying through the air uh you even have the team evil the bad team that are taking uh, uh these like super powered
0: uh, yeah the American drugs, as they call them yeah. in, the, in the dub, yeah, it's very funny that <laughs> it's good yeah, they're basically doping themselves into being as superhuman as the as the kung fu masters, but of course, the real kung fu is the one that prevails at the end
1: mm-hmm. right, yes, yeah <laughs> um yeah, i mean i I felt really bad for me in the movie, I mean, especially that whole scene where. She says that she's in love with him and he's just like, his response was pretty harsh. I thought, uh, you know, just laughing at it, like, what? I would never think that in a million years, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was a pretty harsh response for a friend. Like, I feel like you should be nicer, even if you're not interested in the other person.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know... Uh, I agree with you that the romantic subplot was the one that that was the hardest for me to, honestly, just to follow how that was developing. And, um, and then I realized that this is a, a Miramax movie, or it was released by Miramax in, in the US and internationally. So I went looking it up. Did Harvey Weinstein, you know, mess with this movie and cut some stuff out? And indeed he did. He cut about 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. And apparently most of it was regarding the subplot between Stephen Chow and Mui. Mm -hmm. So... I think a lot of that relationship we don't see because it was kind of surprising to me when she finally appears. at Because she saves the day at the end uh, during the final soccer match. Yeah. And when she came in, I was like, what's going on? She has shaved her head and then all of a sudden she's there. It felt like a, something had happened in between that we hadn't seen is the sense that I got. And- oh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I yeah I thought, what well, did she find some like miracle cure or something? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it would have been really sweet if he had loved her just for who she, she was at the very beginning. Uh, yeah, you know, that would have been more my
0: preference. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I wonder, it's it's frustrating that the it seems like the only version you can watch, at least in America legally, is the. Is the cut version? I wonder what the longer original Hong Kong version would would oh, do. Oh, I didn't with realize there also. were two versions. Right. Yeah. So, but but I guess that version only played in China, and the the rest of the world has only been able to see, like I said, legally the the mm. recut version. So I wonder. So I wonder what is that. But what did you think of the movie as a whole? Whole other, other than that,
1: I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a a fun little
0: little comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the um, I remember at the time um, the movie that really got me interested in 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 this whole Stephen Chow thing and the and the and the genre was Kung Fu Hustle. I don't know if you've seen that one, Rachel, but I think it might have been during that's the his time second that you one, went- right after this. Uh, that's the one he did after this. He's made a lot of movies, but um, this one came out in 2004, I think, in China. So it must have been 2005 when I saw it, and and it was kind of a big hit, or it was being pushed as a big um, as a big hit. You know, this is around the time of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Tarantino, Kill Bill. So people were trying to, especially Harvey Weinstein and Miramax, were trying to make money off of these. Chinese martial arts movie, you know. I remember the movie Hero also came out around the same time and had a big push as well. But this was obviously more in a comedic vein. So, so what I what was funny and fun about this movie was that it took the like we were talking about the Wuxia epic and turned it into like a, a Looney Tune style comedy with very exaggerated visual effects and, and comedic gags and that kind of thing. And that led me to renting Shelling Soccer on on DVD. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. Um, and I think it's a fun movie, uh, with great visual effects and funny, f- a couple of really funny gags that are definitely in the Lo- Looney Tunes vein, which is, you know, it's one of my favorites. Like whenever someone kicks the ball and their, their clothes rip out or something, or things like that, I find very, very clever and very funny. Um, also... There are moments when people are like, all of a sudden wearing different costumes because it's something they imagined or, you know, like even the dialogue scenes have, there's a moment when people start bursting into song all of a sudden for no apparent reason. Um, so it's a very kind of like, I would say shaggy movie that's just trying to do whatever it thinks it's going to be funny at any given time. And for that, I think it succeeds. There are, of course, a couple of things, a couple of comedy stuff that hasn't aged very well, um, like the, or that isn't just particularly funny anymore. Like there is this very brief scene with a, with a hairdresser character that it's you know kind of it's a man dressed as a woman and I guess that's supposed to be, kind of funny. It's a very brief scene, um, and then there is obviously the, the larger the sort of like fat guy in the team that there's a lot of like very cheap, kind of not very funny jokes about him like being like oh I used to be thin and but now I'm oh fine. yeah yeah which is kind of lame. The, the good part about that is that he ends up joining the team and he does great, you know, and it kind of like stops being a thing that, that, you know, being fat somehow is an impediment in him being a Kung Fu master. But there are some, some lame jokes about that at the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like we said, some of the stuff with Mui is a little yeah. outdated. You, I don't think you'd have the character. I kind of reminded me of, um, police story. That we reviewed in the ah, past in yeah. the sense that how that movie used i mean this is more over top even more over the top than that movie but mm-hmm. um and the way that the, that movie treated the female characters was also not my favorite um uh, yeah and uh and so it's something that i think that that you know they've grown hopefully over the years <laughs> in that regard mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: um yeah, I mean the whole end. I, I think the whole sort of ending game is is really mm-hmm. fun. It's probably the yeah. highlight. Uh,
0: the team yeah, evil, definitely. I would agree with that. I I do think that the movie kind of um, it's it's fun throughout, but it really that whole ending game set piece is really the kind of like the meat in the in the bones of this movie, right? It kind of is building towards mm-hmm. that, and that is the most fun part, and the most and the one that has the most effects and the most um yeah the most clever ideas so yeah so definitely yeah. that's the the big sort of like main dish of this movie yeah it was <laughs> interesting it
1: I was reading that it uh I guess it actually was banned in China they didn't mm-hmm. or they didn't or they rejected it right and um I think because of the Hong Kong roots or something is what I was reading mm. and uh and but it still made 42 million dollars which is pretty good I feel like yeah
0: yeah it was I think it was the highest the biggest Hong Kong movie up to that point. Then it was succeeded by Kung Fu Hustle, which is the next movie he made made even more money but but it was a huge hit in Hong Kong. and Stephen Chow is a huge star and a huge obviously box office draw. Um, his movie The Mermaid from 2016, mm-hmm. that one did play in China. Of course, the China and Hong Kong relationship has grown more connected since 2001. But um, that was a huge hit, and at the time it became the biggest movie, not only in Hong Kong, but in China, mainland as well, and was his biggest hit. Um, He, I don't think, has made a movie since. Um, Maybe he did, but, um, but he's definitely one of those people who, he's a very famous comedian... And he takes a long time to make his movies. You know, I feel like he's one of those kind of like somewhat, especially now that he's working with such visual effects and big budgets, he takes a long time to, to come up with his new ideas and make his new movies. Um, I wonder how much of that is perfectionism. I wonder how much of that is having to deal with the Chinese censors, but you know, that's kind of like mm. the, the moment he's in. Um,
1: yeah, I like The Mermaid. I thought that was a fun movie, I remember. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it back in. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. I actually haven't seen that one, um, but I've seen this one, obviously, Kung Fu Hustle. And I also seen a movie he made in the 90s called The God of Cookery, which is also really, really fun. It's um, it's kind of like a similar idea to Shaolin Soccer, but instead of being soccer and Kung Fu, it's, it's, um, it's cooking and Kung Fu. He's like a, some sort of chef and he goes into a chef, like a cooking competition. So that's very... It's a very fun movie that I wish someone would release in a good quality version in the US sometime because mm. the version that I saw was kind of like a you know standard def DVD sort of thing that I think that would be really fun to see in a Blu-ray or or a 4K version and I think people would really would really enjoy it because it's really fun and it's very clever and it is before CGI so the visual effects are a different style, you know, it's like practical effects being used for this Looney Tunes kind of stuff is always really fun to me and, and very creative, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I, uh, I enjoy that
1: too, when it just gets like a little bit over the top and, uh, and it just made for a fun moment. It, I mean, Looney Tunes actually is a really good example because there's sort of a space jam almost feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, in, in this a little bit, and, uh, and when they, the, uh, when we s- gonna help score the, the big goal and,
0: uh, and save the day, it is, is fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is fun. Now, before we get into our questions, the, the other big reason why I wanted to talk about this movie is because of the Roger Ebert review of this movie, which has been a review that has stuck with me for a long time and i have thought about it a lot especially when i was writing reviews because he talks he gave shaolin soccer three stars which is a pretty good rating but he kind of like was twisted himself in a pretzel justifying why he would have given this movie three stars which i think is very interesting about him and about criticism and about the way we view movies and genres it's a little similar to that episode of Siskel and Ebert that we've talked about before, a very famous Benji the Hunted episode when Siskel and Ebert are in complete disagreement and he, and and Siskel cannot believe that Ebert has given thumbs up to Benji the Hunted. So, In the
1: same episode as he gave thumbs down to Full Metal Jacket.
0: Right, so that makes it even more <laughs> outrageous to Gene Siskel. And that's the whole thing that he talks about in this review. Um, if you allow me again to read the first few paragraphs of this, um, it's. I think it's very interesting and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you have to say about this. Um, just before I read it, I just want to say he mentions a lot of movies that came out around that time, some of which might have been forgotten. So these are all movies when you hear something that you're like, "What? what is that? That's a movie that came out around this time. Um, there are a couple of movies that I hadn't even heard of, I think, at least one. Anyway, this is his review. He says, Shaolin Soccer is like a poster boy for my theory of the star rating system. Every month or so, I get an anguished letter from a reader wanting to know how I could possibly have been so ignorant as to award three stars to, say, Hidalgo, while dismissing, say, Dogville with two stars. This disparity between my approval of kitsch and my rejection of angst reveals me, of course, as a superficial moron who will do anything to suck up to my readers. What these correspondents do not grasp is that to suck up to my demanding readers I would do better to praise Dogville. It takes more nerve to praise pop entertainment. It's easy and safe to deliver pious praise of turgid deep thinking. It's true. I loved Anaconda and did not think the United States of Leland worked. But does that mean I drool at the keyboard and prefer man-eating snakes to suburban despair? Not at all. What it means is that the star rating system is relative, not absolute. When you ask a friend if Hellboy is any good, you're not asking if it's any good compared to Mystic River. You're asking if it's any good compared to The Punisher. And my answer would be, on a scale of 1 to 4, if Superman from 1978 is 4, then Hellboy is 3, and The Punisher is 2. In the same way, if American Beauty gets 4 stars, then Leland clocks in at about 2. And that is why Shaolin Soccer, a goofy Hong Kong action comedy, gets 3 stars. It is piffle, yes. superior piffle. If you are even considering going to see a movie where the players zoom 50 feet into the air and rotate freely in violation of everything Newton held sacred, then you do not want to know if I thought it was as good as Lost in Translation." Yeah. Which I think it's a very interesting, revealing way about how Roger Ebert saw movies. What do you think Rachel? Well, this I relate
1: to very, very much as somebody who spends their life watching Hallmark movies. You know, people will say, uh, all the time, you know. How can you, uh, I don't know, give a negative review to something like the Fablemans or something like that, um, <clears throat> and and like a mm-hmm. you know a Hallmark movie,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's why I don't actually give star ratings on my Letterboxd uh, for the Hallmark movies or the TV movies because I just don't really want to invite that comparison, you know, mm. because it's I. It's not that I give the Hallmark movies a pass. I'm just doing mm-hmm. what he's talking about here. That, like, yeah. when I sit down to watch a Hallmark movie, I expect certain things, and I'm not, uh, and I'm not comparing it to, uh, you know, Oscar contenders. It's just a different. It's it, it, you. You expect different kinds of pleasure, and they provide different kinds of pleasure, and uh, and this, the scale is different. I don't know mm-hmm. that explain i
0: relate with that as well very much of course because i brought this whole thing up but this review when i read it at the time which was after i saw kung fu hustle so it was probably a year or so after he actually wrote it when i was first starting to think about movies and and wanting to review them and things like that this was really telling to me you know the that idea of like Different genres demand different things. The, the, the scale is relative, not absolute. You can give a movie that maybe it's not as serious, as good a rating as a movie that is supposed to be serious. And I took that with me a long time. Um, but I think this review is also revealing of something within Roger Ebert that I think he couldn't quite shake that belief that some movies were more serious than others. And some movies were to be treated more seriously than others, even though he was a champion of a lot of different movies, he always had to justify himself. And I think a part of him could never let go of that. And a part of him always understood certain movies with serious themes to be somehow a little bit better, a little more worthy. And I think that's the part that over the years I have. I think, come to distance myself a little more from. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he talks about American Beauty getting four stars in comparison to Shaolin Soccer. I think Shaolin Soccer is a better movie than American Beauty, not in relative terms, in absolute terms. And it could be a better movie than, because they're doing, like you're saying, the fact that they're doing different things doesn't mean that something is, you know, worse than something else, um, Inherently, you know, Mm -hmm. like you think about the Hallmark movies, I wonder as, uh, because ultimately, um, criticism and film watching, film loving is very subjective. So I think it's more interesting and more important to me personally, for example, to know did Rachel Wagner, how much did Rachel Wagner love this Hallmark movie? And if it's more than, I don't know, um, of Jean-Luc Godard's film "Socialism" to put it, you know, an example. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, that makes sense. That's fine. I I do because it's all about the people's perspective, and in that way, um, yeah, it's I appreciate, tricky though. I I yeah. understand where he's coming from though, because as a critic, Definitely.
1: like, I don't know. I it, it's. And when you're making like top 10 lists and you're trying to compare like which one the like something like, for instance, all quiet on the Western front, very well mm-hmm. made, very well done. I, but is it one of my favorites? No, it's not one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but then it feels like, well, that's not really fair because it's very good at doing what it's trying to do, but uh, I don't know. So it, I feel like sometimes I feel torn between what I I like and what I admire. Sometimes I struggle with that.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I, I know what you're talking about 100%. I think that a lot of this has to do, obviously this is, I think, obviously a bigger issue for you and let alone Roger Ebert, you know, people who have been in the spotlight who get like reaction from people when they post a review Yeah, and you know, that's a a more different and I totally relate to why you would do that. and I do think that a lot has to do with people's reaction to that, and the way that people see things, and the way that people value things. Yeah, it's just a whole other conversation. I don't know. If we have to get into it right now, but I do think that you know, for me personally, it is right. It's more interesting for me to know um, what is your favorite movies, Rachel Wagner, because I know you as a person. Yeah. Than like what you know you think it's the most admirable. Yeah, but I think it's for an, people it's... online and people. As, a, as general, they are searching more for the validation of the movies that they think are good, rather than like knowing what you're interested in. And I think that's where things start to get tricky, and we start to become Roger Evers who have to twist themselves into giving a certain number of stars.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, that uh, that makes sense. I I, I think it's it, it's an interesting thing about. I mean, it's the people want criticism to be completely objective, but it's, it's not possible. Like we're, uh, we are subjective creatures that have, you know, different, uh, uh have life experiences, have tastes, have, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's why it's always good to, I think, follow a critic regularly and yeah. uh, not just to, to cherry pick individual reviews. And that's actually something that, that can be a plus and a minus for the whole Rotten Tomatoes system is that mm-hmm. it can lead you to critics that you find when it's done, when the system is used well, it's uh, mm-hmm. when you can sort of follow the whole, uh, the, you can start to follow critics and uh, and, mm-hmm. and get an idea of kind of what they like and don't like, and and, uh, and as opposed to just kind of finding this review and being outraged. <laughs>
0: <about> mm-hmm. <it. laughs> Definitely. Uh, I agree. It's an interesting point. All right, I think it's time to get into our questions since we've been going on for a bit. So the first one is, what makes this a Criterion movie? What do you think, Rachel?
1: So I I think that because it was so popular and you know obviously the World Cup, so they're trying to get a collection Mm -hmm. together for the World Cup. Uh, So I think that's why it kind of makes sense to have it in the. Criterion. It doesn't really feel like a Criterion uh, release. I think when you're watching it, but yeah. uh, but I think that you know they're trying to make a, a collection.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what I, what I like about it being on the channel is that it doesn't feel like your typical Criterion stuff. But in a way, talking about genres and thinking of some genres as more you know important than others, comedy obviously comes up a lot when we talk about things that the Criterion collection and channel maybe doesn't uh value as much or doesn't highlight as much outside of course of classic comedies like screwball and silent comedy there's a lot of that but any more modern comedies it's rare but when you look at stephen chow as a director he fits the auteur criterion style perfectly in the sense that you his movies are very specific and very distinctly his. He has a very particular sense of humor. He has a very particular use of visual effects, and that carries through all of his movies, you know? So in that sense, he's definitely a auteur and one that could be, you know, studied and thought about in the same way as, like, to mention someone else we mentioned in this episode, like Jean-Luc Godard, you know? Like, he might not be quite as, you know, eclectic, as interesting as Jean-Luc Godard in some ways, but he's definitely... As much of an artist, I think. So, in that way, I think this this belonging criterion yeah. it makes sense to be highlighted as something that's more personal and unique than your average sports comedy.
1: I can see that.
0: Yeah. 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 What about pretentiousness? Where do you think this ranks in our pretentiousness scale? I, um, I think it's really low. I don't mm-hmm. think it's pretentious at all. Like one. Yeah. I'm pretty, yeah, this is, I agree with you. This is a commercial movie, a comedy, a broad comedy at that. Wants to, as many people as possible to have fun and to enjoy it. And there's, you know, and that's its main purpose. So I agree with you. I think it one sounds right. No. Finally, what do you think of the remake?
1: I really struggled with this one to think of a remake. I don't know. It's hard. The, the best I could think of was to maybe do a sequel where you have the team uh, end up at the World Cup. That could be fun. Ah,
0: that would be great. And maybe now that Steven Chow is older, maybe now he's the coach or something and he's coaching a team at the World Cup. That sounds fun. Um, that reminds me of an Indian movie I watched called... What was that called? Um, I think it was Bailey or Bailey or something like that. Um, in which one of my favorite Indian actors, VJ, coaches a team of um, of young girls uh, into into a World Cup tournament scenario, which is a really fun movie. Um, again, a sports kind of like, well, a sports epic really in that case, with, you know, songs and action sequences and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but I would love to see Steven Chow in a situation like that with these characters or with this, you know, kind of visual effect extravaganza. And my idea, you know, could work incorporated to yours, I guess. But my idea was, of course, immediately to think of like a the South American version of this, and I was thinking of like all the great soccer players who are about to retire. Like, for example, Lionel Messi, who's been the basically the best player in the world for about. 20 years or so he's about to retire and I would love to see him (laughs) even though I don't know how charismatic he would be but like you know there was that movie Uncle Drew that came out a couple years ago where the NBA player Kyrie Irving was playing this old man in makeup who was playing basketball I would love to see Lionel Messi do something like that and to see how it works so maybe we can pair them up somehow Messi and Chow together in the World Cup. Yeah, Shaolin, there you go. <laughs> soccer. <laughs> in World Cup or something like that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, because you wouldn't want, certainly
1: wouldn't want to Americanize it. That would be terrible. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, which I, I feel like I'm almost surprised that hasn't happened,
0: but mm. it would just be so,
1: I don't know, lame. Yeah.
0: I guess you could, well, that would be Space Jam. I was thinking, I guess you could do it with a sport like basketball or something that is more like American, but that's basically what Space Jam is, I guess. So maybe it's already been done.
1: (laughs) So yeah, it's interesting. It was the challenge trying to think of a remake for this one.
0: All right. Well, I guess that's mostly our episode, other than telling the folks what we're going to be doing next time.
1: Yeah. So we have the end of the year uh, coming up and uh, as we thought it'd be fun to take a little break and to talk about some of our favorites from the year that we think could end up on Criterion and also some of the the classics that we've watched that we hope that they'll put in the collection one of these days. Uh, And uh, so it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be a Well, it won't be an end of the year. It's more like a new year extravaganza because it's going to come out in early, very early January. Yeah. But we'll be, yeah, we'll be talking about some of my favorites from the past and from the present and, uh, you know, stuff that we'd like to see in Criterion. So that should be a lot of fun and that should be coming to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, very good. In the meantime, Rachel, do you want to tell the people where they can find you online?
1: Yes, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out.
0: And also, homeworkies podcast. You can see all the holiday coverage, and you can follow me on Twitter at cocohitsny. You can also follow the Criterion Project on Twitter at Criterion Pod. And you know, if you like this show and you enjoy listening to us, please leave us a review on iTunes because that will or an Apple Podcast. I think it's what it's called nowadays, mm-hmm. but that will help us definitely find more listeners, and would be very much appreciated. Hope. All of you listening have some happy holidays, because we won't be yes. talking to you until after that. Rachel, what do you have to say as your final message of the year? Well, it's been a joy
1: uh, doing the show with you this year. I always look forward to it. It's uh, it's a nice break from all the, particularly during this time of year, nice break from the holiday and Hallmark coverage. Uh, and I always uh, look forward to our discussions. And uh, we also have the Patreon, uh, if anybody feels so inclined, where you get weekly uh, AFI Passions reviews from me. So if you want to hear more from my thoughts on classic films, it's a fun fun way and uh, a and, uh, fun part of, uh, to be a part of. So, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just been a great year. I've, I've really been thrilled with 2022.
0: Yeah. Thank you to everyone who has been a guest on the show this year. Uh, We would love to have you again. We appreciate so much that you went on the show. And thank you, obviously, to everyone who has been listening throughout the year. Uh, It's very fun doing this podcast. And it's nice to know that we're not speaking into the void necessarily, but there's people out there listening. So thank you, everybody.
1: Yes. Merry Christmas.